You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Let's get our Bibles open to Acts chapter 5, please. Um, Acts chapter 5. Um, I'm not sure exactly how uh, this morning is going to go, but um, I honestly am praying that it's going to be a little bit heavy. Um, it's a heavy passage, and it, um, I think that the Lord really uses messages like this. I'm personally inclined towards passages like this. I just, I really believe that the role of the prophetic within the church in terms of the refinement and renewal that is found, I just know from my own experience and my own sinful life that the, the, the times when I'm most refined or rebuked by the Lord brings the greatest renewal and restoration in Christ. So I don't know what he's going to do today, but I just know in light of where we're going with Ananias and Sapphira and the reality of what took place in that church and how God used it, I'm praying right from the start there'd be an openness from you and from me to say, Lord, whatever uh, you want to do. Um, that's a scary prayer to pray, but I pray that God would use it in a powerful way. So the book of Acts, our second act, uh, we're in the church opposed. That's the title of our second act as we've uh, divided up the book of Acts. And let's be aware of what we've seen so far um, in these early chapters. Okay, so when we're looking at the opposition coming against the church, we've seen in the chapters, especially chapter 4 and now going to chapter 5, we've seen the church opposed from the outside, right? We had the religious leaders um, attacking through jealousy and envy. They're, they're attacking the teachings and of Jesus Christ and the church. Um, but you have to understand this, and, and sh- we, we should know this as well. When that fails, when the opposition from the outside fails, uh, Satan doubles down and then he tries to attack the church from the inside, okay? And that's precisely what happens uh, today and has been happening throughout history. There's attacks from the outside, and then probably most dangerous are the attacks that come from the inside of the, of the church. So Acts 5 now becomes a very pivotal time for the early church. And really, with the dawning of the opposition from the inside of the church for the first time in this way, this becomes a monumental time now um, for the voice of God. And I wonder if that makes sense to you. Some of you, I, I, I need you to explain more. Um, well, well hear it this way. How the Lord handles this initial inside job of sin, because that's really what it is, will literally set the tone for the ages, including um, even today, right now. Okay, So what happens in Acts 5 will be used by the Spirit of God to send shockwaves through the early church, and those shockwaves will ripple all the way through history, and we will feel some of those shockwaves um, even today. So when I played football, and particularly in university, it was a very, very long time ago, and man, I feel old in these days, okay, but when I played university football, the whole idea, I played defense, and the whole idea was to set the tone as early as possible. Now, our coaches were adamant, when you get on the field, don't, don't, don't wait till the second quarter to wake up, get on the field, set the tone early, let the other team know how it's going to go. One of the phrases used in football is, get on the field and punch them in the mouth, okay? So it's a boxing metaphor, boxer's sitting there ready to fight, all of a sudden he thinks he's, he's got this, he gets punched in the face, and he's like, man, man, this is a whole different story. You're setting the tone 
for how it's going to go. That was a very big deal when you played football, especially defensively. Get out there, punch them in the mouth, so to speak. Let them know how the rest of the game is going to go. Sober them up to the reality of what they're facing against. This is exactly what the Holy Spirit does today in Acts chapter 5. This is how the Holy Spirit deals with inside opposition. I mean, he punches it right in the mouth. Actually, to be more accurate, instead of punching them in the mouth, the Holy Spirit honestly uh, strikes them dead. I mean, just think about that. Like, like, This is literally what takes place in our text today. When it comes to the inside opposition and the sinful tendencies rising up for the first time, the Holy Spirit strikes people dead. So my advice today from this passage as we begin And my advice, wherever you are right now, and I'm trying to take this personally big time myself, and our thesis today, our sermon title today, really says it all. It's this, do not take sin lightly. Do not take sin lightly. Let's let's read our passage. I want to read it somewhat slowly. First um, 11 verses of Acts 5, and then we're going to unpack it together. But Lord, would you use this right now in Holy Spirit? Just help us to hear and see and to feel. So, uh, Acts 5.1, but a man, notice the contrast, but is worse uh, with verse 37 and Barnabas and his offering. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why have Satan... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Um, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? Um, After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it then that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have, notice, you have not lied to man, um, but to God. That is key. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young man rose up and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Wow. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen to this. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And then verse 11, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard um, of these things. I just want to take a moment to pray, Father, very, very serious passage and a very, very serious tone you are setting in the early church, and I pray that seriousness will be felt among us right now, Lord. I do not know all that's represented here, but you know precisely in the midst of this day, in the midst of this weather, in the midst of this service, right now, this time, uh, sovereignly appointed to hear from the word of God and to know what the Holy Spirit of God would say to us today too. I pray that right now this message would be a combination of tremendous uh, attention, uh, tremendous, again, seriousness of our sin, but also tremendous awareness of the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. Uh, This message ends with the Lord's Supper, so wonderful, so perfect. I pray you would lead us to that moment of great sober-mindedness, of great awareness, of great self-awareness, and again, of great intention of serving you with the life that we have, with the time that we have, uh, for the reason um, of your glory. Help us, Lord, now 
uh, is so obvious uh, how much we need you and how much I need you. And I thank you for speaking in my life this week. And I pray you'll continue to do that even as I preach now. Um, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So what do we learn uh, from this text on the seriousness of sin here? What do we learn from this text? Uh, three main things. Number one, I want you to notice this first, uh, the reaction. I want you to notice the reaction lives are taken. Okay, the, the reaction to the seriousness of sin coming from the inside within the church, lives are taken. Now, when you look at point one or hear point one, it kind of sounds so extreme. I mean, sin enters the church and people die. And yet that's exactly what takes place. And so right away, just at church, loved ones, here at Hope, as we read Acts 5, um, I want you to think of the message that God is sending. It's so important to be in the verse, but then to step back in the passage and in light of the book of Acts and to see it from a distance to say, look at the message that God is sending to his early church that is unmistakable. I always got to remind myself that in Acts chapter 5, this is not the Old Testament, Old Covenant, a system of law. This is not where we are now. This is the New Testament, New Covenant under grace. And yet look at the seriousness by which the Lord treats the seeping of sin into the heart of his church. Let's examine further here. What kind of sin got such a reaction from the Lord? Well, look at verse 2 again. And with his wife's knowledge, he, Ananias, kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, let's remember again, the example of Barnabas precedes our text. So Barnabas, we read in verses 36 and 37 of chapter 4, Barnabas sells a field and gives all of the proceeds uh, to the church. He lays it at the apostles' feet. And so what we have to believe from Acts 5 here is Ananias and Sapphira, they see the example of Barnabas, and they probably in some ways are kind of envious of the attention he's getting or the admiration he might be receiving or inspired in some ways by, wow, look at how generous uh, he is. Look how spiritual now Barnabas, Barnabas is being seen. And in some form, in some way, Ananias and Sapphira, we want to look like that. Uh, we want the same attention. We want the same recognition. Uh, we want to be seen as spiritual as Barnabas, but the problem was in their desire to be spiritual, their hearts were uh, uh, tremendously polluted. They wanted to be seen in a certain light, but they really didn't want to live the life that it takes to get there. Their offering was tainted, as we're going to see. Now let's be super clear as we come to this text too. Ananias and Sapphira were not obligated in any form either to sell or to give of their property and the proceeds. It was 100% voluntary what they were doing. That's found in verse 4. In verse 4, Peter says to them, I mean, when you had your property, was it not your own? And when you were sold, it was it not at your disposal? No one's requiring you to do this, Ananias and Sapphira. This was absolutely voluntary on their behalf. However, what they did do is they agreed together to sell their property to claim. Here's the sin. They claimed to give all of the proceeds, but in actuality, they held some back. So they wanted the appearance of being super spiritual, but in reality, what was happening is they were being spiritually fraudulent. 
If you look at verse 8 here, Peter asks Sapphira, and he says, did you sell the land for so much? And she says, yes, so much. Do you see what she's doing there? What she's doing is, did you sell the land for $1,000? Yes, we sold our property for $1,000, but in reality, they sold it for $2,000, or whatever the number was, right? We sold it for this, because we want to be seen we're giving it all, but in reality, we're keeping a bunch for ourselves to look spiritual, but actually we're lying and we're fraudulent, and sin is seeping in to the early church. So what kind of sin is this exactly? This is the sin of hypocrisy. It's the sin of deception. It's the sin of lying. All those three things are happening within this sin. It's important to know that Jesus saved his greatest rebuke for hypocrites. In Matthew chapter 23 to the Pharisees, he says, You hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup, but the, listen, listen, but the inside is full of greed and self indulgence. Think of how much that applies to Acts 5 in our text today. People who want to look a certain way on the outside, presenting some facade, but on the inside, there's corruption. There's, there's, there's deception. There's a disingenuous approach. It's not real. They're fraudulent. Think of how seriously God takes this sin. Hypocrisy is grievous to God. Why? Listen, listen. Because it's deliberate deception. Here's a really good quote on this from Bruce Hurd. He says this. Hypocrisy is one of the sins that God hates above all others. Why? Because a hypocrite has God on his tongue and the world on his heart. That's good. And let's just pause on that for a second right now. Is there any area of our lives right now where that is true? A hypocrite has God on his tongue but the world on his heart. Jesus says, you honor me with your lips but your hearts are far from me. A hypocrite in scripture is really the... the, the um, the basis for this, behind this word, is a stage actor. Uh, someone playing a part. Someone, it could mean someone wearing a mask. Uh, not genuine. Not real. Listen to this. This is important. A hypocrite is found when reputation is more important than character. I'll say it again. A hypocrite is found, and this has killed the church for centuries, when reputation is more important than character. Now let's think of some of the theology that's, and I was gaining a lot of insight this week in my study here too, okay? Why was this so important to the church? If you think of the old covenant system, the purity and the rules surrounding the temple of the Lord and the holy of holies. People died when they blasphemed or sinned against the Lord in the, in the center of his holiness, in the temple and the holy of holies specifically, lives were taken as a result. Now you transfer new covenant. Now you go into this age of grace. And what happens is the holy of holies is no longer in the temple. The temple has been fulfilled in the church. The people of God are temples of the Holy Spirit, which represent the church. Here you have a sin creeping into the temple of the Holy Spirit, the church. Here you have attack on the purity of the church itself. And the way that the Lord sees his temple in the old covenant is the way the Lord sees his temple in the church and the new covenant. But the temple happens to be the church itself now and the people who constitute that. So that's why you have a lie, not against man, but a lie against God because it's a lie against his church. 
And the purity of the church is so important to the Lord. And that's true even today. This is why this is taking place. He takes this so seriously. And I wonder if even right now the the Holy Spirit is peeling back some layers on our heart in certain ways as only he can. And I'm praying the Holy Spirit, starting with me, would create conviction and cultivate a conscience that is feeling and, and seeing what the Lord wants us to see and hear. Remember our passage today tells us how seriously God takes the sin of hypocrisy and deception and lying. I thought of a Proverbs 6, the six things or seven things the Lord hates and then detests. Two of these, two of these, it says the Lord hates a lying tongue. The Lord hates a lying tongue. And then uh, further on in the same section of the things that God hates, he says, I hate a false witness in those who breathe out lies. I was reading yesterday in Proverbs chapter 30, and the, and the writer says, two things I ask of you, God. Two things, he says, he asks for. Remove from me lying and falsehood. And then the second thing he asks for, and give me neither poverty nor riches, that I may follow you. How does that relate to Ananias and Sapphira and their situation? Remove from me falsehood and remove from me greed and the desire to accumulate. Give me neither poverty nor riches that I may not steal and that I may not be overfed that I no longer desire you, O God. A lot of wisdom there. Who's that for today? And notice in our text today as well, notice a couple of massive insights here. Uh, Number one, notice um, this lie was incited by Satan. Look at verse three. Look at verse three. Ananias, why has Satan, what do we learn about Satan here a lot? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Let's be mindful of how Satan works. How often has Satan destroyed the church from the inside, ruined a local church from the inside. Notice the contrast here in the book of Acts. We have heard over and over again, they were filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. Now notice the contrast, Ananias and Sapphira, why has Satan filled your heart? Instead of being filled by the Spirit, they are filled with Satan. Their hearts are filled with the lies of Satan. And think of the devastating directions that those things will go. Filled with God's spirit and your heart has been filled with Satan to lie and to be filled with deception. What a massive difference this is. You know, I think about this too. There are always people, there are always people in our midst lurking about with evil intentions. And they could be here right now. I, I, I do not know. But from the moment this church began, there have always been people lurking about with evil intentions. Not filled with the Spirit, but filled with Satan. That's just a reality. You know my prayer right now, Lord, you will shine your light upon this place. You will shine your light upon every heart in this room right now. You will shine and you will, you will protect us from those who come in as wolves, seeking to devour the sheep and seeking to be instruments of Satan and even disguised as angels of light, the text says. God, shine your light. And anyone who's here with some kind of evil desire to destroy and distract and disrupt and to deceive. God, give us enough wisdom and discernment to see what it is and you would create a great brokenness 
and a great reality and seriousness of our own sinfulness, that we would operate from a foundation of God have mercy upon me as opposed to some proud posture of positioning ourselves of some kind of usefulness to God. God exalts the humble. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble, and he stands against the proud. This lie was incited by Satan again. Again, Satan is the great accuser. Satan is the father of lies. And notice, secondly, um, still under point one, but notice this. um, This lie was against the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 3, verse 4, verse 8. I'll give you time to look. Look at verse 3, verse 4, verse 8. Three times Peter says this sin was directly against the Holy Spirit. See that? That's why this is such a serious deal, as we explained already. Three times. Why have you lied against the Spirit? Why have you tested the Spirit? Why have you lied not to men but to God, it says. Wow. Wow. I mean, who's taking personal offense at this? The Holy Spirit is. It reminds me of David, I, I, against you and you only have I sinned, O oh God. I mean, you want to talk about grieving the Holy Spirit of God? Like church, listen up, listen up. This is so important. Men, women, children, you want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God and you play the part of a hypocrite. You want to grieve the Spirit of God within your life? Like you want the answers as to why you feel nothing and why there's no passion and why there's just seemed like such a distance from God? I don't know in every case. I'm just saying, if this is happening in our lives, man, you better believe we will grieve the Holy Spirit as fast as anything else we can do. Hypocrisy, deception, and lying. Fraudulent lives. Fake lives. It kills and quenches the power of the Spirit within our lives, just as it did with Ananias and Sapphira. Um, it's the man currently having an affair on his wife but is sitting here possibly even now pretending everything's right. You are playing a massively dangerous game. Can can I say it with any more seriousness of what right now you are involved in? And I bet you there are situations right here, right now, where that's, that's, that's a realistic example right now. And you somehow think and you can pretend everything's okay here, and you're completely living a life of deception over here. I'm telling you, man, by the grace and the warning and the mercy of God, I'm telling you, God is sending you a warning right now. Repent as fast as you can. It will not end well. It never does. How about the woman who deeply desires to be seen in spiritual superiority or spiritual maturity, and yet your own pride prevents your weakness. The pride does not ever let you, allow you to admit your weakness or admit your frailty or admit your sin because you're so concerned with being seen in a certain light and having the right spiritual answers and always being the mentor, never being the mentee. Our pride deceives us. The teenager who has learned to give all the right answers and look the part. Christianese is their second language. But if I tapped into your social media, heard your conversations, your true heart would be revealed in like that. The young adult who seeks to resort others in truth. But even last night, you were dabbling in deep darkness. These are, these are lives of tremendous insincerity that must be taken so seriously. How about the pastor who tries to live up to the people's expectations in the process becomes inauthentic? 
I always remember what Paul said, Matt, Paul Tripp said, I never forget this, Paul Tripp says, I think he writes in his book, and he said to me personally, when people come up to him, he's a, he's a fantastic speaker, author, lots of admiration, people come up and basically like, oh, you're amazing, and whatever, and I'm so happy, to, I think you're the best and stuff, he's like, he says this to them in their face sometimes, he says, listen, if you really knew me, you wouldn't say that about me, and I was like, man, that's so good. You know, people with good intentions, sometimes what, we, sometimes what we do is we see someone at the front and we make them into our own image. And it's an image the person can never, ever live up to. I always say this to you many, many times. I say, any pastor who stands up here and presents an image of having it all together, that pastor is a spiritual fraud. No one has it all together. No one is without sin. I mean, if you ever get the impression that I'm giving you that in the case of this church, that I'm not, how many times they say, people come up, and I get it. They want to encourage. I'm so thankful for the encouragement. We need it. We need to encourage one another. I get that. But in the end, man, let us know we are just sinners together seeking the sufficient Savior. Amen? I mean, all of us sinners together. Trust me, man, the sin of my heart as recently as yesterday grieves me. Grieves me. I resonate with Paul, wretched man that I am. so important and yet the temptation isn't that the, the temptation to be seen in a certain light and the fear of being actually real before others and i want to be honest too here at hope hope bible church let's be honest we are in a very spiritually intense environment wouldn't you agree a very spiritually intense i mean even this message today i mean this is exactly what we're doing i mean you, you don't hear messages like this a lot in the church these days it's a spiritually intense environment, which I absolutely love. But listen, listen, we must fight within that for authenticity. Because the temptation is to look a certain way when it's not real in our lives. That's the danger. So let me just summarize this. We pursue holiness, absolutely, but in humility. We seek his strength absolutely in our weakness we want to grow in christ yes grow in christ at the same time we groan in our sin and both can happen and should happen biblically at the same time in fact i believe the more we grow in christ the more we see depth of our sin it's a kind of the irony isn't it the more you grow in christ when you first get saved you're just like i gotta stop doing the obvious things on the outside and then you get time in Christ, all of a sudden you just, I mean, that's why Paul, his theology of his own self, he's like, I'm a sinner. And then he ended with, I'm the worst sinner of ever, right? Because the more he grew in Christ, the more the depth of maturity revealed who he was and the layers of sin beneath and caused him to mourn over himself. That's super encouraging. We grow in Christ, we grow in sin. But in our text, and I want to, and draw us back there again. Consider how seriously God takes the sin of hypocrisy. So serious to the point lives are taken. Look at, look at verse 5. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Are you kidding me? When Ananias heard these words, he died. He fell down, struck down dead. He breathed his last. So sobering, such finality. Again, so serious. Again, again, church, church, just, just consider the tone God was setting from the beginning. On the website, God Questions says this on this. He says, God laid the bodies of Ananias and Sapphira in the path of every hypocrite who would seek to enter the church. I'll say that again. 
That's so good. God laid the bodies of Ananias and Sapphira in the path of every hypocrite who would seek to enter the church. Here's what's God doing. Just a visual for you here. Here's what God is doing right here in the initial chapters of Acts. And for all who would listen, man, you got to take hypocrisy so seriously. This is going to come in the church. Warning, it may cause injury or death. I mean, that's just like, I'm not exaggerating, am I? I mean, this is exactly what is taking place. How does this relate today, man? I don't know, I mean, exactly, but we're even going to find out today from Lord's Supper the seriousness what Paul explains that those who treat the Lord's Supper in a way that is unworthy and defiling the Lord's Supper, that has caused death as well. The text says that is why some of you have become sick and some of you have even died. Abusing the Supper of the Lord and understanding the the reaction from God in the early church here was lives were taken. This takes us now to point number two, um, the repercussions now. We have the reaction, now we have the repercussions, great fear is felt. Look at verses five and six then. So it says, and great, uh, second half verse five, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Okay, so we begin to try and imagine what this scene must have been like, right? Consider this. Consider how jealous God is for his church. That's, that's one of my big takeaways here. Consider how jealous God is for his church. Remember, when we are jealous, we sin. Why? Because we are jealous or envious of something that isn't ours. That's why it's sinful. I'm coveting, I'm envious of someone or what someone has, but it doesn't belong to me. So I'm trying to covet something that, again, that isn't mine. When God is jealous, he is perfect, and it actually does belong to him. So it's not sinful for God to be jealous. What he's longing for, in this case, purity, our affection, our love, he owns us. It's entitled to him. It's his from the beginning. He is jealous for the love and the purity of his church, as he should be in his perfection. I mean, just look at the passion of God for the purity of his church here. Without a doubt, God is setting the tone early. Here's, here's what he does in Acts 5. He, he, he removes the lives of those who are filled with deception and lying and hypocrisy. Can you imagine if God did the same thing to us today? Like, can you imagine right now in this room if God removed every one of us that was filled with some form of hypocrisy, deception, and lying I mean, how many of us would be left? I don't know. I don't know. And yet this is what's happening right here in the early stages of the church. Without question, God is jealous. Listen, he's jealous for your love. He, he, he wants us to see that. James 4, one of my favorite scriptures on this. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? I mean, I want you to see it all the time. When we're wasting our lives with entertainment, God is yearning jealously over our lives. We spend our lives on self and self-indulgence. God is yearning jealously over the spirit within us because he longs for our love and affection. He longs for a purity in the church. When he sees the church going astray, God yearns jealously over those that are in that church, longing for them to repent and return and be restored to proper fellowship with him. Listen, listen, this is why God disciplines those he loves. He disciplines us because he loves us. Because he's jealous for our love. He sends difficulty and discipline in our lives 
to wake us up from our sinful patterns and to restore us once again to true love within him. Now, twice in this passage, we read about these, these, these young men. I mean, that, that really captures my attention over the years. These young men who came in and removed the bodies of Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, you want to talk about living in the text? Like, let's just try to live in the text for a second. Just, just, just imagine you're one of these young men. And by the way, young people, young people, like we might as well do this right now because it's right in the text. Young people, imagine this was you. Like, imagine this. You take where you are today and put yourself in the text right now. Just to imagine the power of this period in your life and in the church. I mean, you, you've been watching at some level. I mean, if they're this close to the church, you've seen other things. You've seen Pentecost. At least you've heard of Pentecost. You're watching 3,000 people get saved at a time. You're seeing the Holy Spirit do all. And you are just looking around and saying, this is unbelievable. And now you come to Acts chapter 5, and these young men are there, and then they see this. Let me just say this for young people in this text. I mean, all of a sudden, Instagram is not such a priority, amen? I mean, is this that, that's not that important. All of a sudden, your clothing choice is not going to be at the top of the list. All of a sudden, being popular among your peers, again, is not going to be your priority, either all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're watching this young people and you're just aware you're like man this god is serious about sin and i and and, and i therefore cannot take my sin lightly i have to imagine i mean this i think this is obvious these young men twice they're mentioned they take out two they would never be the same again i mean you would never ever forget this this i i i firmly believe they would tell this story for the remainder of their lives. And I believe they'd sit down with their children and Lord willing one day their grandchildren and they would tell the story of the glory and the fear of God in taking the lives of Ananias and Sapphira. And I believe every time they told it, they would have holy tears fill up their eyes and run down their cheeks as they, they, as they explained and declared the greatness, the glory, and the awesome nature of our God. I believe every time they told the story, they would be awakened again and stirred by the reality of what they saw and what they lived through. And by the way, too, I mean, just can you imagine as these young men became fathers? Do you think that they would be concerned about the sin in their home, the sin of lying and deception? Like, how seriously do you think they would take as parents? Understanding that their kids would understand how God, how seriously God takes a character that starts to become corrupt. And like parents, do I have to say it, man? Like we need to just as seriously be training our children in the importance of a character of honesty and integrity. And when we see deception in the smallest of lies, if you don't jump on that, if you don't pray through that, if you don't sit there and address that, that will grow and grow and grow and grow. And some of the worst characters in history are those, again, the whole lives are filled with one big deception, deceiving, again, like uh, character that just taints and ruins every situation they find themselves in. Notice in verse 11. It says, and great fear came upon the whole church. I bet it did. Can you imagine? And upon all who heard of these things, great fear. So you want to know the ingredients for a healthy church? Acts 4, verse 33 from last week, okay? It says, and great power came upon them. The power of God, Acts 4, 33, great grace. And the grace of God was upon them. And then notice, where there's great power and great grace, there will be, verse 11, great fear. 
These are the ingredients of a healthy church, healthy life, healthy marriage, healthy family, healthy leadership. The power of God, the grace of God, the fear of God. Great power, great grace, great fear. If you're like me, circle all three of those. Make sure you know they're there. Make sure somehow you know they're connected. Great power, great grace, great fear, all because of our great God. That, that is why the church went forward the way it did. God's power, God's grace, and the fear of the Lord upon God's people. I mean, tell you, how do you overstate the importance of the fear of the Lord within the church? Look at our God in this text. Look at what he's producing. Consider the reverence that would have been felt. Consider the sober-mindedness. Consider the way the church would have elevated their prayer from this point going forward as well. Can you imagine the fear of the Lord, I've been, I've been struck recently. Here's, here's one verse. I've been reading through different texts. I've, I've been struck again how much God is so clear about his judgment that is coming. I think this doesn't get enough airtime, man. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. See, we as the church will, will experience judgment not, not, not eternally, but there's an accounting for our lives and how we've stewarded what has given to us. But notice what the point Peter's making here. If we are judged as believers in some form, he says, can you imagine what the outcome will be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Can you imagine? I mean, I was reading 2 Peter this morning. 2 Peter 2 and 3. The seriousness of the Bible's description of the day of the Lord that is coming and the wrath of God that will be poured out upon all the ungodly and upon all those who have hated and rejected Jesus Christ. I mean, it is such a massive deal. The Bible warns us over and over again. Jesus says multiple times, and those days weeping and gnashing of teeth. I, mean, I, I don't know how the Bible will be any more clear for us to understand what's going to happen very soon. And when we get that, that should cause us to live not in arrogance of self, but in fear of the Lord. And I'm telling you, we don't have it the way we should. You don't have it the way you should, and I don't have it the way we should. God help us, amen? Seriously, Lord, like, like work out our lives to produce more and more, not a casual, flippant approach to God, but the holy, reverent, serious awareness of, of, of own sin. And telling me, like, when I was... Studying like this text, there, there, there were points in this message when I was writing where my heart literally began to beat fast with the intensity that I felt in the Spirit of God working in my own life and what I believe for the life of our church. Only he can do that. I'm just telling you, man, I'm just sitting there going, wow, like this, like this means, and I just had to stop and say, Lord, just show me, show me. Where, where in my life am I grieving you? Where, where am I tempted towards hypocrisy? And deception. And Lord, show me. Show me. Like, like the psalmist, see if there be any grievous way within me, God. Because if there's forms of patterns of any kind of these things, that you please, God. Just please. Because I know, I, I know you will not see blessing as you continue to live in this way. You can't. You can't. So what a message God is sending to his church right from the start. And how the fear of the Lord would be felt upon the early church. And listen, I would be remiss today. And I think I would be failing to love you properly if I did not take this passage and send a warning to those of us right now who are engaged in willful, blatant sin against God. I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment 
And to let this moment kind of live out a little bit, if you are currently right now engaged in a blatant, willful sin against the Holy Spirit of God, not to warn you, not to warn you. And I believe the Holy Spirit can use this because he loves us so much and the grace that he gives, but to understand the seriousness of what we're seeking to do. There are some here right now, right now, right now, and your lives are characterized by egregious, grievous sin to the Lord. Because he loves you and loves us, he warns you. And he warns us. The continual pattern of such behavior is guaranteed destruction. Do not take sin lightly. And listen, listen. Do not take the Lord's Supper lightly today either. There's seriousness today. Listen, there's grace today. But there's grace for those who seek him. There's grace for those who repent. There's grace for those who know they need him. There's grace for those who are broken. Brokenness over sin is one of the absolute best places you can ever be to experience the grace, the love, and the peace of God to flood your life again. Those who remain hardened and stubborn in heart, they will resist the Holy Spirit. But those who admit and again humble themselves and repent and surrender, it's happened to me over and over and over again. The absolute best times of fellowship with the Lord is when you just enough of self and embrace Christ. I pray that God today, even through this message, is radiating refinement for his glory. That God's glory would be so bright and so intense that even the glory of, of him would, 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 would purify and would, and, would, and would refine us within our, our lives. So we see the reaction, we see the repercussions, and then finally notice this, just quickly, the result. I just want you to see the result. The church thrives. Just, just look at uh, 5 verse 14. And more than ever, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And more than ever. So, so watch this. The church is refined. The church is renewed. And then the church bears beautiful fruit. See what pruning does? Like it's just like an increase. God, God, God prunes with the lives of Ananias and Sapphira. And then from this point, fruit even comes forth more bursting and more powerful. Again, more than ever, believers were added. Multitudes of both men and women. That is so awesome. And this truth carries on today. We must be refined to be revived. And few want to walk this path, but God hurts us to heal us, Hosea 6. He hurts us to heal us. So how has the Holy Spirit revealed sin in your life today? Where has the Holy Spirit revealed sin in your heart and my heart today? Has the Holy Spirit revealed sin in your heart? You know what I'm saying? If you're here right now, I think as a genuine, I have to believe that every single person here today not one person is without examination 
that the Spirit of God would reveal something in our lives that we need to take to the cross right now. That every single person can be broken over something in their lives and search him and ask him. Something to repent of. Some error in our lives that has been deception, hypocrisy, lying, inconsistent, insincere, disingenuous, whatever it, it might be. Holy Spirit, would you do that?